With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. So, I got a question. Okay. Why is it that they call millennials the brokest generation thus far? What's really crazy and the truth about that whole statement is, before you said that to me, I didn't even know that they considered us the brokest generation. Well, looks like we need to talk about it. Let's talk about it. All right, bet. What's going on, everybody? With your host Malcolm and Brittany Garrison, and you're listening to Let's Talk About It. Let's Talk About It is a space where we unpack life's transitions and their effects on millennials. As entrepreneurs and millennial parents, we've navigated a lot of life transitions. And we're here to share those experiences with you while challenging perspectives and engaging in open dialogue. Y'all ready? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk. <laughs> Let's talk about, about it. it. Oh, so weak. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, uh, I saw this on Business Insider mm-hmm. uh, that millennials are the brokest generation right now, and I immediately I ain't just get offended, but I was like, why? Why is this so? And we got a lot to talk about. I I think even originally, like when you brought that to my attention, I was like flabbergasted and confused because I feel like because we live in a social media world, um, in a social media age, you see so much success. You see so many people, um, you know, that appear to be winning, of course, not just from a social media standpoint, but also your peers. Like, and it doesn't, it's not even a specific type of person I've seen, you know, uh, people who are working nine to fives or in their career fields, um, that are successful at that thing. And then I've seen people in the entrepreneurship space, um, that are successful at what they're doing. And it didn't really matter if you were a nurse or if you were in real, real estate, if you were in network marketing, if you were just, um, building your own personal business, if you're a coach, um, if you're a teacher, I've seen so many people within my peer group as well, that is, winning with what it is that they're doing and so to hear that they think that we are the brokest generation sounds crazy to me it sounds crazy to you based off of what like what would make us because like i said to the naked eye or to the social eye it look it appears as though there are a lot of people within this millennial generation both men both women that are winning at a very higher level than i've actually ever seen before well when i first read it um I ain't gonna lie, I I actually agree with it. Now, I agree with it, but I wanted to know the facts. What's the numbers right. that they're talking about? Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why you make you make that statement about you, it feels like our generation is doing well because there is so many professionals. Mm-hmm. Well, they wrote about that too. They said this is the largest generation in the workforce in the U.S. Okay, so that's why it feels as though. Every, there's a lot of people doing well because there's so many millennials in the workspace right now mm-hmm. uh, because baby boomers have, have now probably retired or about to retire. A lot of them have left the workforce. So that leaves the millennials at this point. Okay. Gotcha. So that's, that's uh, part of that. But here's some numbers. So okay. I want, I want your, I want your opinion on this. Mm-hmm. They said us millennials hold 4.6% of $5.19 trillion dollars of the world's wealth, of, well, of the U.S. wealth. So we hold less than five percent as a generation. But aren't we the aren't we the largest generation right now? We're, we're the largest in the workforce, but we literally own five less than five percent of the U.S. economy's mm-hmm. wealth. That's crazy. Now here's a here's another statistic: baby boomers, mm-hmm. they're almost ten times wealthier than us, with the numbers of they're fifty three percent of the 59 of 51 trillion dollars but are they not more wealthy because they've had more life like no because the baby boomers they're the they're the generation before the generation before us so they're in their what 60s and 70s at this point they're in the 60s and 70s but they own 53 percent of the u.s economy's wealth but they're double our age they're double our age, correct? Well, I mean, well, in in, but age in retro, has nothing to do with it. It doesn't because now, even after I said that, my thought just went to they're double our age. But if we double the time and we double our net worth in years, we would still only be at ten percent. 
Correct. So how does hearing those numbers? Because you know, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. Some sometimes I think they're skewed a little bit sometimes. But with these numbers, how does that initial reaction make you feel? I I I've, the initial reaction is now what aren't we doing mm. that will put us in position to now be at 5% because like you said, it, it actually does make sense with, with what you said earlier in regards to the fact that we are working a lot more. We are building a lot of businesses, um, but we we're not the wealthiest. Are we now in pursuit? But now it's like how fast, what, how long would it take us to get to that point to where we have increased our wealth value in the country? Um, how long would it take for us to double our wealth value and how many people are they basing this off of in real life? Because now it's like, if we're one of the larger generations that has come since general, I mean, since the baby boomer generation, then why and what aren't we doing that will position us to be so far behind in the wealth gap? I think it's a number of things. Um, I think one, it's, uh, it's because we don't, we, we're not a buying generation. We're more so a leasing generation. Now that's a fact. Uh, we we don't hang on to things long term. We want you know autonomy to to be able to come and go. Mm-hmm. So we want our freedom in that aspect. Now there's probably reasons behind that of why we. I was an advocate for <laughs> a very long time. Yeah, you know, but I'm talking about rental. We talking about rental properties. I mean, renting. Mm-hmm. You know, your property. Yeah. But also your car. We don't own many cars no, in our generation. So a lot of these things. Why is it that we are shying away from ownership? rather than looking to own things? Um, I, I I will say for me personally, I was 100% with renting because that's what I knew. Although I come from a household where my parents, they do own their house. Um, they've owned multiple cars over the time span. Um, I feel like the way entrepreneurship feels, I won't say what it really is, but the way entrepreneurship feels is sometimes as if you're going to be moving so much that you don't want to stay in one place or, or you know, you know, sow your roots in this one area because I don't know if this is where I want to be long term. So like in, in our in our experience, when we first moved to Atlanta, like this is what our fourth time being in a different place. Yeah, it is. So this is our fourth time. Place. So You're by right. the time we actually buy our house, that would have been the fifth time we've moved in Atlanta. And um, but the whole thing was, OK, well, I was living in this one apartment and. I've outgrown it. So, but I'm not necessarily ready to buy a house because I don't feel like I have the money. That is a major part of it was between credit and capital at certain points of time in my life. When I think about the amount of times that we've moved, I didn't feel like I had either the credit or I didn't feel like I had the capital. When I had the capital, I didn't have the credit. And when I had the credit, I didn't, uh, I didn't have the capital. Right. So like when I first moved here, you know, when we first moved, my credit was like sky high. You know what I mean? I had like a seven sixty. I was 22, 23 years old, didn't know what to do with credit itself. Um, and I only had the money that I moved here with. So I'm not necessarily in the mindset of buying a house, even though now that I think about it, between interest rates at that time and my credit and having the little capital that I did, I could have found something maybe, you know, in a low 200s with a very low mortgage. But that wasn't even the conversation that I feel like my parents were having with me. I think even parents and, and they own a house, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It'll be different if they never owned a house and they weren't talking about it. But um, I think the other thing was once my credit got kind of funky, and I had the money. Now I'm like, well, because my credit is trash, they're going to charge me more. So now I'm shying away from it <laughs> for another, a different reason. Um, and, and, you know, I feel like now we're at the point where, you know, the stars have aligned, but at the same time, moving from one place to the next place was just like, oh, this spot is too, too, too small. And I don't like what they're going up on rent. So let me go find a bigger spot with a lower rent price. And now that served its purpose. And then it was like, oh, I need to move in the city. So let me go experience that. Then it was like, oh, we're pregnant. We're about to have a baby. We need more space. So it's kind of like I was right. I mean, so here's my, my, here's my take. I think I think we seen so many things from our parents like. Some people have seen, you know, our parents say, hey, uh, stressing about the mortgage. Mm-hmm. We've ha- we've seen that, you know, in our generation that our, our parents stressing about paying the mortgage or paying this or something happens in the house and you and, and you got to pay for it out of pocket. And mm-hmm. you don't know that you're making these mental deposits that, OK, I don't want to have to go through this when I'm older. 
So maybe I need to rent and allow somebody else to take care of that. There is a level of convenience in rent. Yeah, there's a level of convenience in it. And I think we have some some kind of childhood trauma that stops us from doing certain things when mm-hmm. it comes to comes to creating wealth. But here's another thing. Mm-hmm. Uh we we also have created financial habits that aren't wealthy too. Okay. Like what? Our generation. We haven't created uh, so we get into more debt than we do have income. Okay. So our debt to income ratio tends to be off. So if if that's the case, how could you ever buy a house? But but I think when you're talking debt to in- income, home ownership is one of the major debts that you're going to accumulate. Correct. And I feel like if w- I feel like what you're going to respond to me and say is that we have the wrong perception and we're thinking the wrong way about specific types of debt. Whereas I'm assuming you're talking about credit card debt and like stuff like that. Yeah. So what I'm saying is we we get into bad debts and not wealth generating debts. So what I mean by that is another statistic on here is that 39% of us are college graduates. So we're the most educated generation Mm -hmm. by far Mm -hmm. because that was instilled in us from baby boomers that typically didn't have a lot of education, but they did create a lot of wealth for themselves. One because of pensions, 401ks and stuff like that, that they had access to, but we necessarily don't have access to or will not in the future. So that already cuts us uh, in half, okay. right? But also, we're taking out the wrong debts. We're taking out debts that are so high in interest rates that it's, and your income isn't growing. Typically, you have one income when you come out of college, right? Yeah. So if you got all this debt hanging over top of you and you have one income, that's already killing your chances of creating wealth right in the Student loan? Student loan is another bad debt. The reason why, because it can never go away. That is Unless true. you pay it off. Although most of us are sitting here right. creating the next recession. 39% of us. So that's almost half. So here's the here's what I'll say to that. I, I feel like, um, especially within the black community, I can't really speak, speak for any others, but I feel like if you're talking about um, going to college, when we're embarking on that journey, a lot of the things that we what was instilled in us was don't get a credit card because exactly. you don't want the debt, right? Exactly. But I feel like what should have been taught is about the credit game. game. Yeah. And and I see I, I'm really excited about entrepreneurships and entre- entrepreneurs, especially black entrepreneurs that are in the finance space, because I really I, I, I see us champion championing. Is that a word? Uh, we are becoming the champions and the catalyst within our culture that are us millennials, too, that are teaching financial principles on so many different levels. You got earn your leisure that are, you know, I mean, they're talking about everything finance, just from a mindset, from mm-hmm. um, investing and in, in all the other ventures that they've talked about. Um, but you have a lot of black entrepreneurs right now that are talking about credit, how to understand credit when it comes to business, how to actually protect your assets, protect your um, intellectual property when it comes to your businesses versus just, oh, we know to start an LLC, um, but what I, you know, and, and different forms of investing, different ways to start different things. And I think that's really powerful within our generation, because like you said, one of the things that you found out when you bought your first car was how trash your interest rate was. Man, and, 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 and I'll I, tell them about it too. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But um, I, I'm saying it in the sense of when we when we heard don't get credit cards, we didn't hear based off of the debt, um, the, the debt amount that you're getting or the loan amount that you're getting and the interest rates, because a lot of the times are how to utilize it, how to pay it properly. Um, and so I think interest is one of the key things that we actually don't understand. And that's why people will go out and buy a car with a 13% interest rate or a, a, a 15%, 19% interest rate, or most of us don't even know to ask what the interest rate is. So you, these salesmen are really getting over on us. So I, I, I really think it's, it's not, we're we're the most educated, but we're the we're probably the least educated on financial yeah. principles that would help us understand how not how how not only to create wealth because I know we can talk a lot about how to make money. Yeah. I, I believe that our generation is definitely one of the ones that is is about a bag for we're sure. Book smart for sure. We're book smart too, but we're smart. we're definitely street smart too. You know what I'm saying? We're very street smart. Life life smart. Wealth it's smart. Yeah, I don't think know? it's life smart because we yeah, do. Is that, well, that, that would insinuate that we have no life skills, and that's not true. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you uh, that 
it's not life skills. It is wealth, wealth skills or wealth building skills that we yes. have lacked because of, you know, if you're not taught this before you get out into the real world, you won't have any any skills or education on it. Mm-hmm. But we are definitely book smart. And that's why we are the, the most educated generation, because it, that was teach that was taught so many times growing up that you better go to college. Most of us are first generation mm-hmm. when it comes to that. But another thing, you know, I, I can agree with this quote or or at least a statement is because one, it's not just the it's not just the bad debt that we acquire, it's the spending habits as well. Because they're literally talking about our net worth as millennials as average is eight thousand dollars. Eight thousand dollars. So we're talking about highly educated people have eight thousand or less to their name. That's crazy. Why is that? It's a lot of us don't understand 401k plans or, you know, investing into it, how important it is for the long game, because I think we think about fast money now. Now we think about it, you know? I'm not about to be at this job. Yeah, we think about it, we're not about to be, yeah, a lot of us don't want to work a job. Yeah. And you're forgetting uh some of the principles that they, they put in place. And that's why the baby boomers have created so much wealth, is because they've been investing into their 401k since they've been in the workforce yeah you know and and some of them have worked life insurance things like that have helped them create these kind of um wealth habits or at least wealth building principles that Mm -hmm. we're lacking in the in the millennial generation but i even think like even when you get into the workforce um there's just a lack lack of education that's why i said i can appreciate all the millennials in this space that are making sure that we start to become financially literate as they learn, because a lot of times people want to wait till they know everything um, before they start to share the wealth uh, of knowledge. And I feel like as individuals that are very learned, as you said, we're book smart. um, I think that's why we're also willing to teach as we're, as we're learning things so that people can be in position to start to understand new stuff. Because even, even understanding the life insurance principle where there are other cultures that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing life insurance. They're, they're taking out policies on everybody in their family. Um, or everybody in their family has a policy. They have wills and all that kind of stuff like that. They have trusts set up. And I think, uh, we don't even understand trusts and you know, that's something you and I have started talking about as well. And I just feel like the, the problem is that although the prior generations, they had the opportunity, that's what I'll say. I said, I think they had the opportunity, but unbeknownst to them, they did it blindly without understanding because if they had the understanding, they would be able to teach it Correct. versus just having blanket statements about don't get no credit, don't buy credit, don't get no credit cards. Or, um, because I, I mean, I've experienced a moment in time where, um, I owed my, I owed our school some money to get my diploma and I wanted to go to grad school at the time, but I owed the school money and I can't get my transcripts. I can't get my my degree unless I pay them. And the first thing that one of my parents told me was, Oh, just take out a personal loan. Why? Because you have great credit. And I had, let me tell you my bank account at the time, it was a pay, it was payday one. Even when I got my first credit card, um, you know, one thing that I feel like I was doing unknowingly was going to apply for stuff on payday. Right. And so what that Uh, meant was that there was money, not just that. I mean, I mean, I mean, this in a way of approval rates Yeah, was because there was money in my main account, which was where my direct deposit was coming. Mm -hmm. But I had a savings. Like I told y'all, I was a saving was my thing. So I got, let's say, twenty five hundred, three thousand to five thousand dollars in my savings account. And I have a deposit of fifteen hundred from my job today. My pro my approval rates were so fast because they're like she has money because at the time you talk about I'm somebody I'm somebody who's 20, 21, 22. So I'm not that old. So for them, that is a lot of money. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and my approval rates were very high. And so at that moment in time when I needed money because of what your habits are, the first thing you're telling me to do is go get a loan. And at the time, it didn't feel like nothing because I could afford the payments. But then I moved out on my own and everything changed because my income was different. So I, I don't even know what the interest I, I should probably pull it up and see what the interest rate was on that loan but it's it's the lack of understanding of if you do this you know what i'm saying yeah absolutely this is what the repayment looks like or this is you know the other aspects to it besides just that moment when we talk about credit cards they say don't get one just because 
oh, you don't want to mess up your credit. Not the fact that it's not real money that you're going to owe back. That's right. the part that they never told us, you know. So now we have fear of debts, but certain debts we should be utilizing because when you well, think about yeah. reward points, and I mean, not not that that's a wealth generating thing, but it is cheaper when you're traveling. It's che- you know you don't think about the 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 benefits that come with this stuff, you or the ways that it does benefit your credit. One of the things we were talking about, like. One of the reasons why my car down payment was so weird was because they said your credit score is high. You just don't have diverse enough credit. Got you. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. So now it's because what you said at the beginning of us not wanting ownership of things. Like, I don't want to own a house. I don't want to own a car. I don't want to own this and I don't want to own that. So now I now think that credit is a game of credit cards right you know right. what i'm saying so now i got credit cards they all low low usage and now i got a high credit score but now they're like yeah but now you don't have enough credit types you know what i'm saying and so i just feel like we're undereducated on most of these things like life insurance and um home ownership equity being able to pull out equity on your assets like that's the part that i feel like we are so undereducated on and that's probably why this statistic exists is because we really don't know yeah. And we're learning now in our mid to late 20s and early 30s. We're learning from experience. Like my experience when I bought my first car, uh, literally the car was about $14,000. So it wasn't an expensive car. But the interest rate was 27% or something like that. Right? And it didn't dawn on me because th- when it's your first time buying a car, you're not you're not even thinking about these you're things. Just you're just excited not ta- about the red bow. You're not talking about these things. You're excited about the red bow. They can smell blood the second you walk in in the door, knowing that this is your first car and this is how they take advantage of you. So I'm looking through the paperwork. Uh, you know, I don't know how long ago after it was after I purchased the car, but I was looking through the paperwork. Twenty seven percent over six or seven years, I would have wound up paying twenty eight thousand dollars on the car, and I said, wait a minute, I'm paying for this car twice. I immediately was pissed and I wasn't just pissed that, uh, that I took this deal. I was pissed that I didn't know what I was looking at. Mm -hmm. And that was my wake up call to like, I need to start learning about this thing called money, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And thank God I had gap insurance. That car got totaled. They paid that off. It didn't get totaled because you saw the interest rate. (laughs) When I saw the interest rate, I was determined. (laughs) Please don't to not try be this in that car. Home. But you know, whatever things Thank happen. For your safety. And I got out of that car, thankfully. But I told myself it, it taught me a lesson that now I gotta start paying, I gotta start educating myself on these things because this is not something that if if your parents don't know if, or if your mentor don't know, or whoever that's in your life as you're growing up doesn't know, they can't teach you it. So who is it up to to teach you? It's up to you. It's you. It's you got to be if accepted. it's meant to be, it's up to you, you know. <laughs> So you got to go out here and find the information and figure out what is what does a good deal look like for you, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of that is going on too. And a lot of that happens when we're 23, 24, 25 years old, a just out of, of college. And you, a lot of them people are still in those type of cars. Mm-hmm. They're still in those type of deals, not knowing what they took. You see what I'm saying? Cause and our mindset is just, oh, it's almost paid off. It's so. almost paid off. But you don't know how much you just really paid for the car that you that isn't yeah. worth it. Facts. Right? So a lot of that is going on, too. Now, another thing that's, that's a part of this is that they're saying that we're also the richest generation. Now, here's the plot twist. What in the oxymoron? Right. But this is how. Okay. This is how. They said, literally, we're making the most money at anybody's age that we are now. Mm-hmm. But we're still spending the most. That's why. So we're making the most. We're earning at, at 29, 30, whatever your age is as a millennial. Your parents wasn't making as much money as you at their age. Right. So you are technically more finan- you know, financially stable than yeah. them. But we're spending so much on the debt that it's not, it's not, it's not adding up. And, the crazy- and we haven't created different wealth vehicles. That's because why. we don't. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think about like, you know, we spent the last four and a half years talking about finance, talking about um, investing in crypto um, and uh, Forex. And um, one of the things that we said when we were talking about investing and starting to educate people on this information was that retirement was a dollar amount. Right. And understanding that 
millennials, we need two to $2.5 million to retire. And a lot of people don't realize that throughout our work experience, even if you're making, even if you're working at McDonald's and you work there long enough, you're going to touch two to $2.5 million. But I don't think we know what to do with it. Or the biggest area that I've seen um, both personally and in the, just the lives of others. But when I understood, you know, the principles around what to do with your money um, and learning that 25% of your income should be your living expenses, I think that changed everything from my perspective in regards to what was happening with the money because I, I understood saving um, when I was living with my parents, but it's significantly different when you become your sole um, provider. Correct. And you start to look at, the income ratio to living expense ratio, because I don't even really think it starts with, you know, like us spending the money. It starts with the fact that most of us have high living expenses and it doesn't have to necessarily be high. Like you paying $7,000 a month in, in expenses. It has to be high based off of your income. And when I started to look at the percentages of it, when we learn this, you know, learning that your your living expenses should be around 25% of your income our living expenses were like 85%. And yes, you know, that's that. where, that's where people are trying to find money to do things like save or where you can only, you look at your, your opportunity to save monthly and it's $250, $500, maybe a thousand dollars. But it's because, um, if I'm making $5,000 a month, my, my living expenses are, are 4,100 or 4,200. So there's not really much wiggle room cause I still need gas. It's not much wiggle room because I still got to eat. And so all the aspects of that. And, and when I feel like I learned that principle, cause I remember I started breaking that number down. Like, because the truth is there is, I, I saw two things. I either need to make more money or I need to lower my expenses. And I decided to do both, <laughs> you know what Have I mean? To. And you know, what I saw was how much money do I need to now be making in order for my living expenses just off my income to be 25% um, that they are today. And, I mean, that they were at the time. And I really feel like a lot of us, our expenses are so high from rent, from our car notes and car insurance um, and stuff like that, that it, le- it it puts us in positions to not have as much capital because it's not just spending. Like, yeah, we, we definitely spend a lot. I definitely think we are a high spending culture. And that's because of, you know, when you ain't never had nothing or or you didn't have so many what you factors. want. You know what I'm saying? I didn't I, I didn't my parents grew up I grew up in a in my dad driving an expedition. My mom drive a, drove a minivan. My first vehicle that I drove was my mom's car. Yeah. My mom's minivan. My first car they got me was a two thousand two Ford Escape. And so when I do get the opportunity to get a Benz, I'm about to get a Benz. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think I, I understand that aspect of like, we are a spending culture because we're, we're like making up for what we felt like we probably wanted as kids or, or the type of household we wanted to grow up in. And because exactly. of the stuff that we talked about, what you start to see, we went to a PWI and, and the students that went there, black and white, it wasn't just white students, but, but the black kids, they had money too. Yeah. They came from money. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I remember uh, when, when Aaron, it wasn't, even his birthday but we had a friend in college it was it was tuesday and his parents bought him a new bmw it was white um what was the seats they were burgundy burgundy interior all white it was just tuesday it wasn't his birthday it wasn't christmas he hadn't done anything and so when you start to see that and you become our age at 23 24 25 26 and now you're making the most money you've ever made it's easy to start spending it but i think before the spending it becomes your living expenses that are so high that it's hard to have that wiggle room yeah and i think i think also you don't think for the future like i'll say this that I feel like in our generation, we don't think about how much money am I going to have when I'm 60 or am I going to continue this hustle and bustle grind when I'm 60 or is the same things that was uh, that was privy to my parents that they had the opportunity Mm -hmm. to have. Am I going to have those same opportunities to have? Am I going to have a pension? Am I going to have a 401k to lean on? Am I going to have the government to be able to help me retire? Right. And all those answers are becoming null and void? The answer is no. And, and we don't think about that from the long term. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And when you don't think about that from the long term, you don't you don't plan for it. You don't set up your estate. You don't set up your will. You don't set up these things yeah. going forward. Mm-hmm. Now, they did mention that in this article, which I agree with, is that we can catch up rather quickly mm-hmm. to, the, to, the, um, to the wealth gap. So how do we between. catch up? So they literally said, okay, they said if... An inheritance from a baby boomer was to come to you. To you. That would be wonderful. That's a that's one way because think about how how wealth is typically generated it's through, through generations. Mm-hmm. It's through insurance policies, through um, you know 
maybe maybe you you, you took out uh, profit on your real estate on property mm-hmm. or stuff like that, like things like that passed down inheritance is how you can create wealth well listen that is biblical first of all let's add that that's true the bible says a good man leaves an inheritance (laughs) for his children's children children. correct now they also said low unemployment rate Mm -hmm. that means that more millennials have to go to work we don't we we hate work we don't we don't want to go that's Let me thing. not say all of us because that is a lie. There are some people that really do like their career, but I think I think the thing is, as millennials, we're we're not only realizing our worth. The other thing is, we there are things that we are that are in us to do that we would prefer to do over working a job that doesn't agree with us. Like you wouldn't want to still be washing cars at Enterprise because that's not not even not only is this stuff not what we went to school for, but it's just not what I want to do. Now I understand doing what you have to do, but you know, shout out to the people. Like I have friends that they want to be philanthropists. So they they work in the the space of philanthropy. Um they just do it as a career. So it's not to say that we hate work. I think we don't like I think we're at a point as millennials where we don't necessarily want to do things that don't make us feel good. And, you know, that could be a blessing and it could be, you know, detrimental to us. I think we have it's because we have more options now. We do. You know, we we have more options than what our parents had. They a lot of them, uh, quite frankly, had to go to work. Mm -hmm. That was the only way you was going to be able to survive and really thrive, Uh, especially if you came together as a two two income household. That's also another way for millennials to start creating wealth, too, is now bringing your income combined with somebody else's income and that you create wealth a lot faster that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're also seeing that the divorce rates and stuff like that and they're marriage rates are declining to getting lower. So that also contributes to the reason why mm-hmm. where we could be considered the brokerage generation. Now also saving and investing habits. We have to be more safe. We have to be better at saving and investing our money now for the future and not thinking of instant gratification of like, I need this return right now because we have so many things out here that can get you a great return immediately. You, it foreshadows your thinking of slow, slow money is compound long interest, money. You yeah. know, compound interest. That is where wealth is really, really built. And once we start shifting that kind of mindset um, to that kind of mindset, we can kind of start really turning the times uh, behind and really catch up. Like they said in this article, we can catch up to baby boomers and how much they have of the um, U.S. as well mm-hmm. just by these uh, these four things alone. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely agree with that. You know, saving and investing is two things that I, I think is huge, because even if you look at things like Bitcoin, I talk about all the time how like um, I've saw, I've said this multiple times in this episode period is how there's a lack of education. And one of the things that I think about is, you know, when we graduated from when I graduated from high school, because you graduated a year after me. But when I graduated from high school, Bitcoin was like a, a, a penny, like, you know, at max, it was like a couple dollars. And what I look at is, is that there were investment opportunities that were brought to us, you know, once I met you. Um, which was three years later. Um, but I look at stuff like that and I'm like, there was nobody in our camp. There was nobody in our family. There was um, my parents, um, none of my friends, none of my friends' parents, and none of my parents' friends, um, you know what I mean, that knew about stuff like that. But then I think about it at the same time, if I was the person that was in Bitcoin at 50 cents or or $5 or $100, would I have held it until the time last year when it was almost at 70000 you know what I mean? Yeah. Because there is that instant gratification um of wanting the money now and i think that's one of the places where i always talk about what would i pick between like a 401k ira and crypto i'm definitely picking crypto one because i ain't got no job but um when i think about it i think that is one of the beautiful things about things like 401ks because it's it's with you and you're investing into it um unbeknownst to you and and without thinking about it every paycheck over the course of years the thing with your personal investments is that unless you're really about that investment life you're not really thinking about it to do it so you're making your money you're spending your money you're making your money you're spending your money but you're not positioning yourself to actually be um generating wealth because of how like we had a situation where we uh, i found an investment literally this time last year Mm mm-hmm I was at the gas station. I mean, I wasn't at the gas station. I was at the car wash. I was getting my car wash because we had a conference and I saw somebody uh, put shib on their story. It was a <laughs> black 
I remember that. It was a black that. story, and it said S H I B, and I was like, "This got to be some sort of investment of some sort." And I'm I'm like a tech nerd. People don't know that I am a I am a, a, a closet 100%. tech nerd, and um, I just went into research mode while I was waiting on my car to get washed, and I found it. I found out how to buy it and all the stuff. I started. I I probably put in like two hundred dollars while I was at the at the um, car wash, and I came home. I told my husband, and you know, he was like, "Okay, cool, whatever." By that next morning, that two hundred dollars was already seven hundred. And wow. I was like, yo, that was crazy. So I started <laughs> telling everybody, I'm like, yo, y'all gotta go buy this, go buy this, go buy this. You know, I had friends that bought millions and billions of SHIB at the time. And, you know, you look up in May and some of them were worth five figures, some six, some seven figures just from that conversation. And so I think, you know, within the crypto space in the world that we are living in, is that money does investments do pop overnight? Money does come yeah. to us a lot easier, um, especially if which that's makes one it of your affirmations, which makes exact, which makes it very difficult to think long term. Um, but I, I do it's it is because we start out in a place where we don't want. I mean, we we have popcorn success mentalities because things do come to us so much faster. We don't have to wait um, the amount of time that our parents did. Even yeah. the housing market when we moved into this house. Yeah. It, it went was, up a hundred thousand dollars in equity in six months. That, that that leads me to what I want to talk about next because we we briefly touched on it, but they mentioned this lease generation. Let's talk about this lease generation that we kind of are in mm-hmm. um, with with within millennials. Do you feel like it's smarter to lease something? Rather than buy, like maybe a car. Do you feel like it's, it's smarter to lease a car than buy a car? What do you I'm say? not going to hold you. If, on a car sense, I definitely am all for the lease game. I'm for the lease game because, and this has no financial principle behind it, no thought. The truth is I'm about the lease game because I like new cars, right? Okay. Um, but I also understand that because my first purchase car that I bought um, last year was a leased car. So it uh, it's a great purchase car as well because the person that leased it didn't do that much mileage, right? So when you now buy a leased car three years after this person has had it, it is a brand new car because they didn't really do no damage to it and they took the depreciation hit. The other thing is I don't feel like you really take the depreciation hit because it ain't your car. It still belongs to the dealership, essentially. Um, and I think they're a lot easier to get out of. Okay, so my take on it, and I don't want to give financial advice, but this is what this is just my opinion. I think leasing is better. I think leasing is better. And here's, and, and this is why one, like you said, you do get into a brand new car, but over and over again, but there is, there's give and take to this because you, you're paying the depreciation. when you're leasing a car, you're paying more uh, in interest mm-hmm. more than likely because you're leasing a car rather than buying. Here's the difference though, is that, you don't have to take out the debt mm-hmm. to buy the car. And then you can get into another car within two to three years of just, just from leasing. Right mm-hmm. now, I don't recommend somebody leasing something that is not a value that somebody else would want to take over. Right. So what I mean by that is if you get a nice car that you're leasing, if something happens in your life financially and you can't afford the payments, you can, literally transferred that lease over to somebody yeah, else facts. versus having a car that you just bought that might be a brand new situation exactly and and now, now you, i have to figure out now you get repossession now you get repossessions on your credit and stuff like that because you can't afford the payments gotcha. so it's a little bit different in that aspect also now you're, you're like it's, like i said you are paying the depreciation when you're leasing mm-hmm. but there's programs out here where you can have the flexibility of you can take the car back. Like our first lease that we oh ever had, my gosh, I the best thing. leasing program I had ever seen at the time. First of all, shout out to Instagram ads because Instagram ads. I found it on an Instagram ad on my story. It was called Fair Leasing. And literally, this was the best situation I've ever seen. One, it was very low maintenance, but they took over all the maintenance and it was based off your credit. And they would tell you how much you could afford in a car. And we had two Monthly, cars with them. Yeah. Monthly, we had two cars with them. Um, but... It puts you in position to where if you wanted to give the car up, there was no penalty because it was a month to month situation. It wasn't really even a month to month situation. It just was no contract. So there was no time period exactly. on how long you had to have it. So we went from um, we had a Jetta. 
<laughs> we had a Jetta. That was the first car because remember he said yeah. he got in this accident, so that was like our we got a car like ninety days later through this app, and literally you talk about we had the car the next day. Yeah. After you did all the paperwork on your phone, you read through all the contracts and everything like that, and you ha- we had the car the next day. Um, but when we wanted to get rid of the Jetta, literally you just had to say I'm good on this, and yeah. you had the autonomy to take it to back just whenever. Take it back whenever, and, and we got a we got there. another car like we got another car that same day. Um, where we were in that car for almost I mean probably almost three years. Yeah, almost, almost three years. years. But that was based off of just wanting it, and um, uh, until we got a bigger car because of the baby, but. It was a situation where it was just like, hey, I'm good. I'm done with this. Um, here's the mileage. <laughs> come pick this joint up. Yeah. And Man. it was that easy. I miss that. If they come back fair, if you're they, listening, um, they, this they're is. They're making a comeback. But, th- I mean, th- these are programs ad. that are out there that people can take advantage of where you have mm-hmm. more options now. Yeah. That you don't have to put yourself in financial binds. Now, also, I would say if I'm buying a car, I'm not buying a brand new car. Yeah, facts. Because you are taking that depreciation hit as soon mm-hmm. as you leave the lot. Meaning you buy a car that's thirty grand, by the time you leave the lot, it's worth twenty. Yeah, facts. Instead of buying a, a car that's maybe two to three years old, that's kind of still has some low mileage on it, they've already taken that depreciation hit. So mm-hmm. when you do take it off the lot, when you do start driving it, it still holds a lot more of its value. So yeah. if you go to resell it or if you go to uh trade it in, you won't be typically upside down, depending on how long you keep it or how much you put down, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But you have a better shot on not being upside down when it's time to either sell it and make a profit or you're going to trade it in for another car. Well, so that's, why I said I I'm a, that's why I said I'm 100 percent with if you're buying and if you're buying by a leased car, like right. a car that had been leased for the last two to three years because the mileage is typically super low um, and um, it's typically a very well maintenance car because the dealerships have to maintain it because they want to sell it after you bring it back. Um, so I'm a hundred percent when it comes to cars leasing, I've been a hundred percent on leasing with homes too, just because I felt like I was on the move so much and this could be age, but it could be, um, parenthood as well. And I'm just tired of damn moving. If I'm being honest, like I am <laughs> sick of, of moving. Um, God. you know, I am tired of paying rent, but it's based off of now my understanding of the real estate market, the real estate game and, and what people are doing with the equity within their homes. Like when I heard that gentleman say that, he had a friend that put all four of his kids through med school from the equity within his home. It, 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 it blew it my mind, your mind because it? now yeah. it, it showed me like it's, it's lack of information. It's lack of education because I have parents that own a home. I have parents that are up in equity on their home. Why? Because we've been living there since I, I think they moved in when I was three years old. I'm about to turn 30. That's 27 years of built up equity. Yeah. But if nobody's talking to you about taking out equity to put your kids through school, then the only thing that they you are thinking about is taking out loans because that's what we were taught. That's how we were taught. Um, and I'm not sure about all cultures, but I know in the African-American culture, college is about either getting a scholarship or taking out a loan. That's the only way you're going, because most of our families don't have the amount of income that semester, you know, that it costs semesterly to go to these schools like our school was nine thousand a semester. You know what I'm saying? At that time, I can only imagine what it is today. Sell yeah. for you, Malcolm. He he was paying four hundred dollars. Man, no, I wasn't. That's a lot. I, I wish. I wish I was paying that much. But I feel like like this is what people don't understand. You gotta understand what's happening around you. Mm-hmm. What's happening in real time? Um, what's the biggest wealth generating tool in America? It's real estate. So if that's the case, and most of millennials do not have real estate or own some type of real estate. Mm-hmm you are completely behind the eight ball. And that's really why the wealth gap is so big between us and baby boomers, right? A lot of them were, were first time homeowners uh, in their generation, mm-hmm. which means they have been able to build equity over the last 30 years or whatever it is yeah, where that now jumps their net worth substantially. Right? So what you don't understand, what, what, what people, what people don't understand is what's happening right now. There are literally, Equity firms, mm. big firms that are buying up land, buying up properties in order to rent to you. So we're stuck in we're, we're this leasing generation. They say, okay, cool. You be this leasing generation. And they're not taking advantage I'm going of to who take we are. advantage of the leasing generation mm-hmm. and buy up all the property, buy up all the land, because what can I do? I can set the market, I can set the price. Yeah. And then when I set the price, you have to pay it. And the price is retarded. And the price is high because inflation is up. 
and so is these prices for these homes are up, right? Man. But it's it's happening for a reason. You're you're being targeted to do what you've already been uh, conditioned to do and the habits to do, which is rent. So if if you're already cool renting, you have no idea how to build wealth, the real wealth. Okay, cool. I'm gonna buy this land. I'm gonna buy this house. I'm gonna make you pay twenty five hundred a month. I'm make you pay thirty four hundred a month or three thousand dollars a month to me. You're gonna pay my principal and interest. Over the next 15 years, I might be able to pay off this house. Everything else would be cash flow. Mm-hmm. This this is how they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to turn us into a renter generation. Right? They're That's trying true. to turn the entire renter. They're trying to turn us into renter's generation. And people don't really see what's happening around them. Of course, inflation is a silent killer of your income, too. Yeah. Because a lot of people's income isn't growing. But the interest rate is growing rapidly every single day, every single quarter. So that's contributing to it too. But also you have to understand that they're taking advantage of your financial habits right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why we got to start getting smart and start understanding how, how is this country built upon wealth wise? It's the one thing that's the most appreciating asset. That's facts. And you, we majority of us don't own them. And you know what? I think when we started actually looking at that was when we saw founder, the movie about McDonald's yes. where a lot of people Amazing look at movie. like there's so many McDonald's everywhere. McDonald's is everywhere, but McDonald's is a real estate company. It's not a, a f- fast food chain. It's a real estate company because what they do is buy the property and they're making money off of the building being on the property Correct. versus just, um, you know, the money from burgers is not yeah. about burgers. They're not all. a burger business. They're a real estate business. For I sure. mean, and, but it's like, I, I think that's where my perspective was like, what? And I don't feel like I got it for a long time. And there's stuff that's like really hidden in plain sight um, for us millennials. But it's like you said, um, when we're, when you're a leasing generation, it's like, oh, well, what can I afford lease wise? What can I afford? What's my rent going to be? But we're not necessarily looking to purchase because we're probably feeling like we're going to be on the move. Um, but I'm it, it, now going into 30, like I said, I've had my come to Jesus moment about this rent stuff <laughs> is that even if I was on the move, I can sell my house. You can sell your house. I can't sell my lease, but I can sell my house. Correct. You know what I mean? And I, 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 I mean, this it makes sense based off of these statistics. Right. When you hear it with no facts behind it, it's like there's no way that doesn't make any sense. There's no way that we don't have the most and we're doing because we've been doing the most. We're the most educated. We're making the most money that's ever been made um, within a generation. But we don't own anything. And because of Correct. our lack of ownership, um, even so that means even if I'm an investor in stocks, if I'm an investor in crypto and I'm making the majority of my money, I still have a problem. Correct. You still have a problem. And, and also, that's why the numbers can kind of be skewed mm-hmm. is because a lot of millennials are in the cryptocurrency field. So a lot of their money is placed in cryptocurrency assets rather than stock assets and stuff mm-hmm. like, you know, stock investments and things like that, um, which also contributes to the numbers that you that we see. But it's still true. Nonetheless, we don't own shit. <laughs> you know, we don't own a lot of stuff. And that is the thing that has to really change within our generation. So. Uh, this, I guess, is the part of when we have our, <laughs> our life, life lessons. lessons. Man, um, um, this this yeah. was a very impactful episode because I think it it helps us to it helps to start helping people um, be enlightened, but also start to think. Right, um, like we, we're not we're not giving financial advice. We're not we're just talking about our opinions and the things that we really learn through um, our experiences and transitioning in life as we are um, starting our process to purchase our first home, and that's stressful. But that's a whole another episode for a whole another day. Um, but I would say my life lesson in this episode is really understanding the difference between income and cash flow, um, mm. because a lot of times we think we have cash flow because we have income, and Income is how much money you're making, but cash flow is how much money you've kept and you're keeping throughout time. So um, and and different asset ways to build assets. And I think really understanding and being willing and humble. And um, because we're so educated, I think we need to start really being um, awakened to in in, um, financial education, not just formal education, but financial education so that we can close the wealth gap. Because like you said, we have the ability to close it. Um, and I think that we will, because I, I believe this is a moment in time that I call historic this season that we're in, that we've been in since really, um, the last like three to four or five years is, and where we're going over the next five years is going to be 
a moment that's going to be written in our grandchildren's history books when they're learning about the 2000s and the 2020s um, because we're becoming so much more aware. We're learning so much more, implementing so much more that we're going to be able to shift a lot of stuff. So if you're watching this, um, you know, I would say my personal life lesson is let's get even more educated than we have been, but let's execute on this stuff so we can close the wealth gap um, over the next, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah, I think my life lesson is... um we got to start having the conversations more. Uh, we got to start getting serious about um, our future. And, yeah. and where do you see yourself at 60? Uh, yeah. Not just at 35 or 40. Um, where do you see yourself 20, 30 years down the line? And if what you're doing right now doesn't kind of align with kind of the lifestyle you want to live then, then we got to start making some decisions now and start having these tough conversations either with our spouses mm-hmm. or with our friends and holding people accountable like, hey, uh, you know, well, what are you into right now? What are you investing in or what are you yeah. looking at? And things like that. Having these dialogues that are, that sparks maybe a thought mm-hmm. that sparks a thought that you can now begin to run with and begin to create some wealth for yourself. Um, not just hurt people, hurt people, but ignorant people create more ignorant people. Mm. And that's the real thing. And we got to be able to one, continue to educate ourselves, but now pay it forward to who's coming behind us, Mm -hmm. teaching them these different hacks that we are learning because we wasn't taught it back then. But that don't mean we we were excused to just being ignorant and never learning. Mm -hmm. It's so many people that are dying. They don't have any life insurance policies. We have to go fund me's and stuff like that. When you can create wealth just by that little thing right there mm-hmm. in your family and passing things down uh, when you're not here anymore and and these are the tough conversations that we gotta start having so my life lesson is let's get serious mm. we gotta get serious about um, our finances now and not wait till it's too late yeah I love that this was this was a, a dope um, episode so if you're listening and you were impacted by this and you you even have some thoughts we want to hear what what are you guys uh investing in what are you guys looking at um how do you feel about the housing market how do you feel about everything that we talked about today um put in the comments like share subscribe um on everywhere that you can listen to a podcast as well as on youtube um and and we look forward to seeing you guys in the next episode um again i'm one of your hosts Brittany garrison um you can follow me at Brittany uh danelle on instagram yes uh malcolm garrison co-host again uh you can find me on instagram malcolm underscore two underscores garrison or just type in malcolm garrison you'll find me and you can follow the podcast at so let's talk about a pod on instagram and uh on youtube and y'all we love y'all um subscribe to the patreon we are really having some dope conversations in this space um about the different topics that we talked about so far and we can't wait to give you guys more so until next time we'll see you on the soul let's talk about it pod all right y'all